0: You're listening to Al Pastor, the show that helps you love God, love your neighbor, and eat more tacos. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, hello. I want to welcome you to the podcast for today. We're going to be covering our reading, which is Leviticus chapter 17. And it's not a whole lot. It's only uh, one through nine, I believe. Yeah. Leviticus 17, one through nine. Yes. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. And, um, you know, before I went on vacation, I was kind of going hot and heavy and then just haven't been able to get quite back into the groove, but I'm back. I want to get back into the groove. I'm declaring I'm going to get back in the groove, uh, because I really, really enjoy podcasting. So in fact, I think I'll have to go back and look. I don't think I've done any podcasts on Leviticus yet, but Leviticus has just been an incredible book that I have been enjoying thoroughly. Um, I, have, I have a deep desire to want to go back into Leviticus and um, just really camp out in there. And uh, I think that there is some some correlation to where we are in the narrative of the Torah in general, because Israel is camped out. This is covering the period of when they were camped out at Mount Sinai. And so I think equally so as Christians, we should camp out in, in this particular portion of scripture. And so I hope you've been enjoying it. But let's get right into Leviticus 17. The best way that I can illustrate this is is, um, is through a story most of us are familiar with September 11th, right, 2001, when the World Trade Centers um, were attacked. And afterward, there were a lot of different memorials and ceremonies to honor those victims. But one in particular really caught my attention when I heard about it, which is a, a ship that was constructed called the USS New York. And this was dedicated and built in honor of the heroes who died in the attack, of the the World Trade Center, and in fact, the 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 bow or the stem we would call that the the front or the nose of the ship was uh, manufactured of the the recovered steel from the World Trade Center itself, and it was implemented into the main hull. This is back in two thousand five. Again, you can Google this if you want. It's called the USS New York, and they wanted the um, the very front of the ship, the nose. Um, to lead the ship wherever it travels. And the motto of the ship is actually never forget. And one of the Navy captains who watched the steel as it was being melted and poured into the molds for the ship, he said this, he said, those big, rough and tough steel workers treated it with total reverence. And I was really kind of brought back by that phrase, total reverence, and we don't hear a whole lot today or talk a whole lot today about reverence for respected things. And the very fact that these construction workers showed this such a high level of reverence for that steel really reflects their recognition of the importance of the events that happened on September 11th. And in reality, this is a very good definition of reverence. Reverence is recognition Of what deserves honor. So that's something good. Maybe you want to write that down or take a note. Reverence is recognition of what deserves honor. And so in our passage today, here in Leviticus 17, it calls for God's people to express their worship of God as the creator, as the unique one, as the holy one, as redeemer through reverencing the holy things of the Lord. Now, Leviticus 17 is strategically located in the development of the book of Leviticus. It leads the way for the second half of the book. And so scholars have divided uh, Leviticus up in various ways, but um, the majority um, uh, divide from chapter 17 to 27. It's known as the Holiness Code. And the holiness code focuses on the lives of the people that are living in communion with the Lord and with each other. There is a misnomer out there that Leviticus is just full of just some old antiquated dry um, priestly codes, and that couldn't be further from from the truth. There is a lot of examples just for the ordinary people of God that were living within that community, and there's a lot of principles that we can extract out of that as well, hopefully you have been fruitful in some of those extractions yourself. Now, since God himself identifies as holy, he is holy, the the ultimate expression of holiness, the people therefore must reflect his holiness in every aspect of their own lives. And so chapter 17 gives us an explanation for why all of the sacrifices that have been described from chapters 1 to 16 are effective for making atonement for the sins of the people. Now, the key verse that explains why this is God's ordained way for a continued and sustained life with him is actually found in a verse that we're going to read tomorrow. It's verse number 11. Let's read it together, and I'm going to read out of the New King James. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar... To make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So the blood represents the life that God has created, a life that God has protected, a life that God has delivered on behalf of His people. And so the community is called upon, they're commissioned as a result to honor God and his gifts. Now, I want you to notice that this is his gift. This is, this, is, this is grace right here, folks. And I hope you see the grace in it because it is God that supplies the sacrifice. He is not saying that you are to provide it. It is God's in the first place. And so we honor God by giving reverence for the blood of an animal in lieu of human life. And so there are a few ways that we're going to talk about that people must honor God as creator and redeemer. The first one is by the worship of the Lord exclusively. We see that in our text. The second, I'm going to go through these quickly, and then I'll kind of break them down one by one. The second is an acknowledgement of his gifts. And third is by cherishing life, whether it's human or animal. And so these commands these admonitions, these imperatives, they come out, they rise to the top of this chapter that talk about the proper handling of blood that is given for the forgiveness of people's sins. So let's talk about the first one. The most fundamental way that people can honor God as their Savior, as their Redeemer, as as Creator, is by offering worship to Him and to him alone. Now, there seems to be an indication in this text that God considers anything outside of the worship of him to be idolatry. Now, for them, what's found in verse 7 is he tells them to quit offering sacrifices to demons after they have played the harlot. Now, we don't have a lot of background to this, so we have to kind of fill in the blanks. So the first question is: is were they actually out there sacrificing to demons? Whether or not that's the case, we don't know. But we do know that there um, there is a long-established precedent of uh, idolatry that is associated with goats. So um, wild wilderness creatures were depicted as goats. So we do have that. Whether or not there's a specific deity in mind, whether it's the one that we saw from Leviticus 16 with the sacrifice of Azael or not— We are not 100% sure. Um, However, what we can extract is that if you go off and you begin to do your own thing other than what God has ordained, he considers that idolatry. So we see that God has his divine stake or his divine claim on the exclusive worship on him and him alone. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Well, there's an interesting connection, and and I hope that I'm making this correctly, because the word, depending on your translation, that's found in verse 7, where it says that they sacrifice to demons. That's how it says it in the New King James. Um, In the ESV, uh, let me pull that up, because it actually says to goat demons. And so if you are to look up that word, goat demons... That is, in fact, actually what it refers to, a hairy, dirty, ugly goat demon. Interesting, the same root word is the word that is used to describe the hairiness of Esau. So what would the connection be there? And I really kind of sat on this, and I thought about this because they're, they're both there. So if you remember, like in Genesis, uh, this is found in Genesis 25-25, it describes Esau as coming out red and hairy. Same Same root word. Well, we see depicted from Esau's life that Esau decided to go his own way, apart from God. And there is a typological application in this, in that if you don't do it God's way, you are going to be against God. So when folks decided, hey, we're just going to kind of be willy-nilly about this whole thing, we're going to just offer sacrifices wherever we want. No, no, no. God says that is idolatry. In fact, we see this develop Um, once Israel gets settled into the land. They begin to establish uh, cultic worship centers um, outside of God's ordained place. God ordained for it to be in Jerusalem. Uh, That doesn't mean that there were times that they could not if God ordained it, but we see in particular like the tribe of Dan and and shrines that were being set up at other places. And so God is putting his stake in the ground, and he says, you are to worship me and me alone, because he, <laughs> our God is one. And it is to be in the way in which I prescribe, in the place which I prescribe. So what does that have to do with us today? You know, a lot of folks just kind of want to do their own thing. We, I would call them ecclesiastical lone rangers. They just, they've got their own thing going on. It's just me and God and we're good. And But God has ordained our life to be lived within the context of community, within the life of the church, and I've explained this several times, but it's worthy of uh, repetition. God has ordained something special. You can you can by by all means you boldly approach the throne room of grace, and we are to do that. Have your personal private prayer time, but something special happens when we get together as a people of God. Right. And yes, you can get together with a couple of friends and have just a good old-fashioned prayer meeting, and I encourage that because you should. But when the corporate body comes together, it is one of the highest expressions of praise, because Christ died for the church, and so God has a a method in which He has ordained true worship. It's not necessarily; it doesn't have anything to do with geography. Now we can go into. Um, you know, like uh, John chapter 4 with the Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, because the Samaritans wanted to worship on this mountain. She's telling Jesus, but you think that he's supposed to be worshipped on this mountain? Jesus says, I tell you, there's coming a day when true worshipers would worship him in spirit and in truth. And he, you know, you won't say on this mountain or that mountain. And what Jesus is referring to is the corporate global body of Christ. And so this is vitally important. Um, to our our proper worship and our proper sacrifice. So the first thing that we want to extract is we need to worship God and God alone exclusively in his way and where he has chosen. Second of all, we want to acknowledge his gifts. And this is certainly what God is doing in here. God is identifying that he is the creator. He is the source. Everything comes by and through uh, him. And if you offer something and you don't include God in it, there's a problem. This is what we have to do with our whole lives. Our whole lives, our, our entire being should be devoted to God and God alone. And when we understand this concept that we really don't own anything, right? Like Our our intellect, our will, our possessions, it is all God's. He's the one that has provided for us. Your very next breath is a gift from God. It is his grace. And so by doing your own thing, you are refusing to acknowledge his divine claim on our lives. We are his. And so the third thing is to cherish life, whether it's human or animal. And the reason for this is God says that if you just kind of go out without acknowledging me, without worship me worshipping me exclusively, you will be guilty of bloodshed. Now we're not talking about we're not talking about hunting for a lot, you know, uh, sustenance or anything like that. This is specifically in the case of uh, sacrifices. And When we decide to kind of go off and do our own thing at the exclusion of God, God will give us over to what we truly desire. So what is, at the end of verse number nine, it tells us that a man will be cut off from among his people. What does that phrase cut off mean? Well, there are a couple of different theories about that. And one is, you know, he could be, it could be punishable by death, but um, in this particular case, it seems to appear that cut-off would indicate a removal or an expulsion from community. In other words, if you got your own thing going on, then go off and do your own thing, and you don't need to be involved in the community and in the worship of God. So you would be cut off. Ultimately, God will give you over to what you want. And so that seems to be the indication of what we have going on here. And what we have today is people want their cake and eat it too. That's the expression, right? Um, we want all the benefits of being in community. We want the we want the benefits of intimacy and fellowship with the Lord, but we don't want to give God every area of our life. And um, today it's just a rare occurrence, and we're not talking about dish fellowshipping or church discipline or anything like that, but we do need to be very, very careful that when... We are not fully integrated in the program of God, the the pursuit of God that eventually will be cut off. And I truly wonder sometimes is when we see people that are falling, have fallen away, or you just start to see church attendance become sporadic or it's not a priority, eventually what ends up and in, in inevitably happening is the falling away from the Lord. And it's not so much that God is is pushing down the gas on that person as he is like just kind of releasing them, giving them over to the desires of their heart. Because once we start to kind of go our own way, God will just say, you know what? Have at it. And so we see a glimpse of that here. God says, you know what? Hey, cut them off. You're going to do your own thing. You don't want to go through the priesthood. You don't want to approach me in this way. Rather than jeopardize the fellowship, the intimacy, the communion, the holiness of God. Hey, go out, start your own thing. And let's face it, a lot of folks have that happening uh, today. They do, in fact, go do that. They start their own thing. And uh, that's a whole different episode right there that we could talk about. But uh, I hope you guys are doing good. That's a little bit on Leviticus chapter 17. Um, If you want to sink your teeth into something, go ahead and, and go into verse seven. I know some of the kiddos Uh, at least from Noah, he's interested in these goat demons and that's okay. Hey, go, go through, search it out, check it out. Tell me what you come up with. And, uh, if you got any questions, comments, or you want to talk about something, uh, just let me know and we will see you on the next episode. (music) Thank you for listening to Al Pastor with Brian Overturf. If you found value in this, please subscribe and get updates. Most places podcasts are available. We're right here on Anchor FM through Spotify. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Until then, we'll see you later.